Kathy uh, came upstairs during worship and said that our son Davy would not stop crying downstairs. And I said, it's running in the family tonight because I could not stop crying during worship. Uh, yeah, apparently Vineyard uh, Covington, we're known for praying for people and we're known for being a bunch of criers. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some help tonight to get through this. But do you remember that feeling of middle school recess standing out in the schoolyard choosing teams for kickball you get team captains there's this big group of people two captains emerge they start calling people out boom boom they start moving away to their their teams the the herd starts thinning you're looking around you start praying, oh God, please just don't let me be the last person picked, right? I don't know where you were when you were growing up, uh, if you were always the first person picked or if you were the last, but that feeling sticks with us. There's something about our culture, the way we're formed from very early on, that we want to be chosen, we want to be picked, we want to be a part of something, my, uh, my five-year-old daughter, I think it was actually here last month at our, our gathering, uh, a, a friend, a boy, but I don't think it's like that kind of thing yet. She's just a friend. Uh, he had another friend here, and so afterwards she was like, I was really excited to see him, but, but he had another friend. And so I was just kind of stuck with my old friends, I guess. And, and so that, that thing, that whatever it is inside of us is formed deeply from a very early age. Uh, the NBA trade deadline just ended. Any basketball fans? The, the NFL draft is coming up in a month, and um, it's like all of the hope of the Bengals will be great again. Uh, I'm from Miami, so I'm a huge Dolphins fan, and it's like all of the hope comes back this time of year just before it's crushed after like the first game of the season. Um, but all of the best players from around the country, they're being ranked they're being, they're being timed. They're, you know, all of the things are, are happening. Uh, all of our hopes are, are being placed on getting just the right person to come to our team to restore the glory of the franchise. I don't know what the Bible time equivalent to kickball is, but it was in this world of broken humanity that on the last night Jesus spent with his followers before he was arrested and executed, he looked at this ragtag group of men, these, these guys that nobody was picking first for their team. This group that really nobody wanted. They were unlikely people. And this is what he said to them. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. If I can cut to the chase really quick tonight, uh, I think the simple message that I believe the Lord has for each one of you is this. I choose you. I'm picking you first. I want you on my team you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove to me how great uh, of a pick you will be. You don't have to send me a video of your 40 time. I already chose you because I love you. You're on my team, and I didn't choose you to sit on the bench all season. 
I want you in the game. Do you believe that about yourself? Jesus says, I choose you. So we are family on mission. We're reimagining our life together based on this good news of Jesus for ourselves, uh, for our family, and for the people around us, for our city. This is at the heart of why we exist because Jesus picked us and there's a whole bunch of people around us in our city that don't know that he picked them too. That's why we exist. We have the good news to go out and say to everybody, Jesus chooses you. And we're going to spend a lot of time, really, basically, I think, just the rest of our lives, figuring out and learning and, and growing and developing what it actually means to be a part of his team. How we actually play the game according to his rules. What the goalposts are according to, to him. Because his game doesn't look like the game that I think most people are playing in our world. It's, it's completely upside down. But that's what we're here for. Y'all with me? Okay. All right. So when we gather, we want to worship because he he is so good. We want to make space for the Holy Spirit to move and work among us. And really, ultimately, as a leader in this family, I, I want to remind us over and over again who we are and what we're here for. And we are going to look at the scripture and we're going to listen to what God is speaking to us and where he is leading us. So today we're wrapping up uh, this series that we've been doing for a couple months on uh, practicing abiding in the love of Jesus. And when I say wrapping up, when we wrap up a series, it doesn't mean that we stop practicing it. Because this is how we live our lives. This is what we're trying to do when we reimagine our lives. Um, abiding in the love of Jesus is just baked in to who we are. Um, so again, from, from that great Uh, chapter, John 15, where Jesus says he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We've been looking at this a lot over the last couple months, and we're just going to go in a little deeper. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn and and check that out, Um, Jesus says he is the vine, we are the branches. Apart from him, and then also implied in that is naturally disconnected from one another, right? We can do nothing, That's what he says. Anyone who does not remain in him becomes useless and dries up on the ground. We can't expect life severed from the source of life. Honestly, I'm probably never going to get over this. This is the message. God is love. He loves us. And so Jesus' command for us is to remain in his love, to stay connected to him. But what does this actually look like? How do we know We're actually doing that. And that's what I want to get into tonight. Jesus goes on in John 15, starting in verse 9. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Now remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. You ready for this? This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. 
There is no greater love than to lay one's life to, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends when you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Did you catch a theme in that at all? Was there a word or something that popped out? Anyone? No? Love. Love each other. I love this passage so much. Did you catch all of those relational identity phrases in there? We get hung up sometimes on the obeying my commands part. We don't like that in America. (laughs) But what is the point of this whole passage? Love. And how cool is it that Jesus models how to be loved by the Father? In the same way that the Father loved me. I have loved you. In the same way that I have obeyed my Father's commands, obey my commands. What are my commands? Love each other. He invites us into this relationship, and the result is obedience. It's not a conditional thing. I will love you if you obey. That's not what he says. He says, no, love is there, but we show we're remaining in him when we obey. What's his invitation? Love. What's his command? Love. What is the fruit that will glorify the Father? Love. (laughs) This whole thing, we make it so complicated, but there's really just kind of two facets of the same thing, two sides of the same coin that I see here. Receiving and expressing the love of God. Jesus said the law and all of the prophets is summed up in two commands. Love God with everything we are and equally Love our neighbors as ourselves. We have to learn how to be loved so that ultimately we can become love to the people around us. I think that's the goal of life right there. To learn how to receive love so that we can become love to the people around us. And what does it look like? Jesus tells us in verse 13, Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He tells us, and then even better, he shows us. This is, this is what Holy Week is all about. This is where we're leading up to Easter, to Good Friday. Man, you guys are just getting blinded, aren't you? It's the glory of the Lord. He shows us what it looks like to lay down his life. A life abiding in and overflowing with the love of God looks like a life sent out and laid down for the sake of others. This is just the truth, right? It's the truth that we all learned probably growing up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He gave, he sacrificed, he sent Jesus and he sends us. Now here's the hard part. We have no control over who receives his love. 
but it must be expressed. So we're talking about being a family on mission, and what does abiding have to do with mission? It's easy to look at these practices and think it's all just about, you know, silence and solitude. It's like being a monk, withdrawing away from everybody and just praying and reading our Bibles and But what does this have to do with mission? It's all about love. It's who we are, and it's what we have to give away. We can't give away to the world what we haven't received. And so we've talked about in the past, I think I've mentioned this at like our first five gatherings. I think I say like every time. As Jesus uh, Jesus says, as the Father sent him, he sends us out in the same way. And so I want to touch on this just a little bit more about how... He sends us. You, you okay? Your, your retina's getting burnt. We should next, next week we'll, or next month we'll have sunscreen for everybody. Um, get your tans on. Okay, so um, at the end of Matthew 9, we read that Jesus was traveling around with his disciples, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. And then we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, f- are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This gives us so much insight into how God sees our world. What does God see when he looks at people in our world? He's filled with compassion because he sees people lost, uh, helpless, harassed, without a shepherd. And he wants to go to them, but his realization is that there's more people than just him to go around. And so he, he, he finds some followers, he pulls them to himself, and then he sends them out. In the very next passage, Matthew 10 Jesus sends his disciples. He says, this is the first thing I want you to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out people, and now I'm sending you. Your prayers have been answered. (laughs) Here you are. It's a very dangerous prayer. Um, But then he says this, and this this is like the other word that I, I, I felt like the Lord wants me to share with us tonight. Matthew 10, 16. This is how Jesus tells the disciples how he's sending them out. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's not a very good pep talk, Jesus. (laughs) Can we try something else? Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as as doves. I don't know what this this, uh, stirs up in your hearts when you hear it. When we're joining the mission of Jesus, we're learning how to receive his love, how to remain in him. And then he sends us out to be that to the world around us. He sends us out like sheep among wolves. But there's three things that that I just want to highlight for us as we kind of move forward in this. The first is just the compassion. I mean, you can't look at the life of Jesus and and not uh, catch this compassion. He says it over and over again. It's, It's what moves him. He loves his people. And the second one is the vulnerability. The vulnerability. There's risk involved in this. 
There's a cost that we're all going to pay if we follow Jesus on this mission. But he asks us to do it anyways, and he says, I will be with you. Right? It's ultimately about his presence with us wherever we go. He is already at work. And the last thing is he gives us authority. There's a missional pastor from Atlanta named uh, Dehadi Lewis, and he wrote a book called Among Wolves that just talks about this. How do we, how do we make disciples in the city? How do we, we go out like Jesus sends, uh, calls us among wolves? And, and he writes that this phrase, uh, send out, where, where he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. It's only mentioned twice in the New Testament. And it comes from this word that means to force out. The other time it's used is when Jesus is talking about sending out demons from somebody. So there's authority and there's force. So when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to be sent out, he's not talking about your average prayer, I don't think. He's talking about this kind of desperate prayer of, God, you have to move us out because on our own we will not do it. We will not do it. And for those of us who live in Covington, we, we moved here to be a part of this community, to, to live a life of mission. You don't have to live in the city. Wherever you are, there are people all around you. But it's so easy. We're, I mean, I'm tempted every day. I love that story from Joe about him. We want to be known as people that pray. But it's so much easier to not let people know where we live. <laughs> It's so much easier to go to another neighborhood and drop something off and then retreat back to our private place where nobody knows we are. But when Jesus looks at the people in our neighborhoods, he's filled with compassion and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will get you out of your comfort place, your place of, of perceived safety, and move you on to the mission field. Again, Dahari Lewis says, Many have the misconception that sheep are not smart. While they, are not the, they may not be the brightest animals, they are known for their strong following instinct. When a sheep goes into a hostile environment, they are actually quite intelligent. They understand that they have no real protection save their flock instinct. As soon as the wolf comes, the natural instinct for sheep is to come together. The thought is that we are more protected together than alone. One of the best parts of all of this is that, that Jesus doesn't send us out alone. I think so often we, we turn his calling on our lives into this super individualized, personalized calling. And I just want to say for a second, every single one of you are called. There is something unique. There is something about the dreams that God has placed in your hearts. There's something about the way that he's wired you, the way that you see the world, the people that you can connect with, the experiences that you've been through that make you uniquely called to reach certain people that uh, other people can't. But at the same time, you aren't called to go alone. That's why we are trying to live as a family on mission. But the longer we don't use our missional muscles the more they atrophy. They just, they stop working. We have to rebuild our missional muscles. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. The other thing that, that came to my mind is this, and it goes back to our abiding practices, is that if we are going out like sheep among wolves, 
we better know how to hear the shepherd's voice. We better know how to hear his voice speaking to us. And in one sense, this is, this is the, the, at the heart of abiding. It's, it's remaining in that, that connection. So there's a certain dependence on the Holy Spirit that Jesus expects in our lives when he sends us out. I, I know for me, so, so often in the past, we would, we would try to wait, like, God, we'll do this if you do this. Like, if you, if you make this clear, if you give me this word, if you set this exact thing up, and then in my life, God has a habit of setting things up exactly for me to be able to do it, and then I find new excuses to not go out into where he's calling me. But the good news is that he says he's sending us out like sheep among wolves, but he doesn't send us out without the shepherd. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, shepherd. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know my father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then catch this. I have other sheep, too. I have other sheep. You're not the only ones. There's other sheep that you don't know about that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is why we exist. Jesus looks at Covington, and he says, I've got so many sheep down there. Our vision for our church, by the way, I don't know, we haven't really put a number on it. I'm thinking 60,000. 60,000 people live in Covington. That seems like a pretty good goal, right? They are people that Jesus has chosen, people he has died for, people that he looks out and he's filled with compassion and he says, Who will go to them? Who can I send? Family on mission is not primarily about what we do, although to be sure, we're going to do a lot of things. We're going to experiment. We're going to try things like laundry love. We're going to pray for people whenever we can. We just want to share this message of Jesus, but it's, a, it's not just about what we do. It's primarily about who we are. It starts from our place of being something completely different in the world. Rich Velotis, from that book I just gave you, uh, he's a pastor and author from New York City, and he writes in that book, Our most effective strategy for reaching a world for Christ is grounded in the kind of people we are being formed into. The quality of our presence is our mission. It's who we are. This is why family is so important. This is why praying and abiding is so important, because this is changing this is who we are, and our life of doing flows out from being. Parker Palmer, who's an educator, he, he talks about burnout, and he says that burnout is a state of emptiness, to be sure. But it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. Y'all, we have to learn how to receive, and receiving is hard for so many of us. But we love because he first loved us. 
In other words, his love has already been given. That's what we celebrate every Easter and every time we gather. It's already been poured out generously. It's already been proven true. There's nothing that we can do now to earn it. So when we practice abiding, this is not religion. This is not trying to, to, to earn something. It's not trying to get God's attention. Our love is a fruit. It's a natural byproduct of his love taking root in our hearts. And that, my friends, is good news. So we're going to move into a time of receiving communion together. And this is really important when we, when we come together. We are on, uh, today is Palm Sunday, as, as Joe mentioned. And this is the day where we celebrate the, the triumphal entry, as it's called. When Jesus came and entered the city of Jerusalem and the people were so excited, the warrior king is finally here. And he entered the town on a donkey And the Lion of Judah became the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. He becomes one of us. He becomes a Lamb just like us. And he lays down his life because he is love. So we're going to practice receiving. Um, In just a minute, the band's going to play. And uh, maybe... (laughs) Or maybe the band won't play. And uh, I'm going to invite you to come up. Let's try to do this in an orderly fashion with as much space as we can around. But come to the side, make your way up, and you can receive um, the, uh, the juice and the bread. And then you can take it back to your seat, and you can take it whenever you're ready. And we're going to um, continue to worship This is a way that we worship. I love when Jesus wanted to explain his sacrificial death. When he wanted to give us something to remember and make sense of what he was doing on the cross. He didn't give us some doctrine or some dogma. He invited us to a meal. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Come and receive all who are hungry Come and receive because I am love. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Come and receive and remember me. I am sending you out in the same way the Father has sent me. So let's all stand. And as we go, uh, come and receive.